Um, I'm excited for two reasons for this, uh, for this series in Luke's Gospel. Uh, my main reason is because for however many months it'll take us to get through this, we're gonna sit every Sunday and just gaze at Jesus together. Um, hopefully you, you know by now that's what we do all the time every Sunday, but uh, in Luke's gospel, we're gonna look directly at him, directly at his life, directly at his words, um, exactly what he said and what he did, and, and just gaze upon Jesus. Um, the other reason I'm excited uh, about Luke's gospel is because of the reason that he himself gives for him writing it. Um, I nearly didn't jump straight to the, the purpose here, uh, but I've decided to just kind of throw out all attempts at building up any suspense, and we'll just go straight there. This is why he wrote it. Um, the purpose, Luke tells us, for writing his book is to give Christians certainty. His purpose for writing this gospel, he says, is so that this, this person, Theophilus, and so that you and I may have certainty concerning the things that we've been taught. How... How countercultural is that for us in our day? In our age of, of deconstructionism and, and skepticism, how taboo is it to say, hey, I want you to have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught? And I'm not anti deconstructing things, I'm not anti skepticism, I'm not anti having doubts. I think those things can be good. But the more I've read Luke, um, I don't think he would have been anti those things either. I think he would have actually had to have a, a healthy amount of, of skepticism in order to write this book really well. I'll explain what I mean by that later. But, but after all of his, his tearing apart and looking at and investigating, he, he turns and he says to the Christian, hey, you can be certain about who Jesus is. You can be certain about what he's called you into, what, what he's done, what he said, and what you are now to go and do in his name. You can be certain about that. Luke says, I want to give you certainty. Um, that alone makes this book really a priceless piece of scripture and an absolute must read for us. So if you're, if you're here this morning or you're listening in and you yourself, you have doubts, um, you're, just, you're just maybe not sure, um, you're in the right place. Like this series is specifically for you. Um, hopefully by the end of this series, maybe even by the end of today, hopefully you may have certainty. Um, or if you're a longtime follower of Jesus and you're just tired, you're just worn out. Um, maybe some days you feel like your faith is more kind of built on shifting sand than it is on solid rock. This series is for you. Um, brother or sister, let's, let's lean in together with, with soft hearts, open hearts, ears to hear, uh, and gaze upon Jesus. And may we receive certainty about the things that we've been taught. Uh, let me pray for us and we'll take a closer look. Um, Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you for you. We thank you for your love, that you have, have placed your love on us. That you decided to, to be mindful of us. You decided to place your favor upon us uh, when we didn't deserve it at all. We thank you for Jesus, for sending Jesus to make a way for us. Uh, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would uh, be at work in a way that only you can be at work. Only you have the, the power to open hearts, to convince people, to give people certainty. I pray that you would do that uh, today, Lord, and, and through the rest of our time in this gospel. Uh, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the way it, it corrects us and instructs us and, and kind of cuts us open at times. Um, uh, teach us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so Luke's gospel, uh, we're just gonna spend a little bit of time uh, introducing it. Uh, 
just a forewarning, there's going to be, t- this morning might feel a little bit more academic, a little bit more kind of studious uh, than normal, but uh, it's essential and we really need to understand where we're going uh, with this gospel. So uh, Luke's gospel, it's really what we're going to be studying is part one of part two of a, of a kind of two-volume uh, book. Um, we, have, we have Luke's gospel that he wrote that we're going to be studying, uh, and then he wrote a sequel called the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, we actually preached through that. You can go back and listen to that if you want, but Luke's really, he's given us the most, the most thorough, the most investigative, the most dynamic, I think the most well thought out account of Jesus Christ and his church. In, in these two volumes, in Luke and Acts, he, he, he really takes us all the way from the advent of Jesus, the, the anticipation of him, the promise of him through his birth, through his childhood, through his, his ministry, through his death, through his, his rising from the dead, through his ascension to heaven. You get into the book of Acts and you have this, him sending the Holy Spirit, the, the birth of his church, disciples being made, the gospel spreading through the lands. The book of Acts ends with the gospel being preached in Rome, which is the, it's reaching the ends of the earth for them at that time. What, what, a, what a thorough account, what a precious and, and important body of work that we've been given really from Luke's dedication to Jesus, Luke's, Luke's following of the Holy Spirit and his commitment to uh, revealing the truth. Um, what about this person, Luke? I, I don't wanna spend too much time this morning getting too nerdy into the authorship of the gospel. Um, I don't wanna spend, do that on your own if you, if you wish, uh, encourage you to. Um, we don't have a lot of time, um, so I'm not gonna spend too much time on that, mainly because it's never really been disputed. It's, it's, it's unlike the book of Hebrews. We went through Hebrews. Hebrews is different. There's a lot of maybe different options of who wrote it. It's a little bit more unknown. That's never really been the case for Luke's gospel and, and, and even Acts. From the earliest lists of the New Testament, really even from the second century, um, there's never been any evidence that the gospel's been ascribed to anyone other than Luke. Um, there's never really been any doubt that it was Luke who wrote this gospel and the Acts of the Apostles. Um, so who is Luke? Uh, through his two volumes, he never mentions himself by name, um, which I actually, f- I, I find fascinating. And actually, it actually draws me to his writings a little bit more. Um, Luke had every opportunity to name drop himself in these amazing books. Um, if I was writing them, I guarantee you I would. Um, but, but Luke never did. His sole focus is on Jesus. His sole focus is on, on what Jesus was doing, what he was accomplishing. Um, I think it shows Luke's humility. Um, although Luke never mentions his own name, he does at times, when you get to, into Acts, uh, around Acts 16, he actually shifts to start using first-person pronouns. So he starts to say we. We went here, our, uh, us. Uh, that, that section of, uh, uh, of Acts, it shows that Luke actually, he joined up with Paul. He's journeying with Paul on uh, parts of his missionary journeys. Um, his, his name was mentioned three other times in the New Testament and all by the Apostle Paul. Um, I think they're on the screen here. In, in Colossians 4, 14, Paul's writing from Rome uh, to the Colossians and, and at the end of that letter he says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So this Demas and Luke were with Paul in Rome. Um, in his letter to Philemon, which comes at the same time of, uh, as his letter to the Colossians, Paul writes, uh, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, uh, uh, Aristocras, Demas, and Luke, and he calls them my fellow workers. And then finally in 2 Timothy, which is probably Luke's, uh, Paul's last book that he wrote before he was killed in Rome, 
He's writing to Timothy, he was back in Ephesus, and Paul says, he says, Demas, uh, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone back to Thessalonica. So Demas has deserted Paul, but he says, Luke alone is with me. Luke alone is with me. You learn a lot from Luke uh, in, from those verses. You see that, firstly, he was a physician. A lot of, a lot of scholars think that he was uh, uh, Paul's personal physician uh, on his missionary journeys. You see, he's a fellow worker with Paul. Um, he, he's, he's along with him doing work of the gospel on his missionary journeys. You see that he sticks to Paul to the very end, even when, when, when Demas drops out of the race in love with the world. And then fourthly, understandably, he's beloved. Paul, Paul loves Luke. Um, that's no small testimony to Luke's, Luke's faithfulness. So Luke's unwavering commitment to the apostles' teaching is evidenced by Paul's love for his partnership. Uh, and, and Luke's his intellectual competency, he's, he's a medical professional. They, they fit Luke to undertake the, the most ambitious task of all the New Testament writers, this two-volume work that, that, that spanned the, the works of the, the teachings of Christ, the work of Christ on earth, and then the history of the spread of his, of his church over the first 30 years of the church. Like, what a tremendous debt we owe to, to Luke. Um, more to come on Luke in a bit, but I, I really want us to focus this morning on the purpose that he gives for writing that gospel. Look at the verse, let's read the first verses again, first four verses. He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it says, he says, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Quickly, who's Theophilus? Uh, quick answer is we don't know exactly. Um, some have tried to argue that rather than an individual, he's this, this symbol, this, he kind of represents all Christians that Luke's writing to. Uh, his name is made up of two Greek words, theos and phyllis, that word Philadelphia, it means friend of God or lover of God. Um, there's actually more evidence, I think, for, for believing that he's an actual person. Um, w- one of the, the big, biggest uh, evidences is, is the title that Luke gives him, the most excellent. Um, Luke uses that three other times in the book of Acts, and they're always to refer to ranking Roman officials. So there's the, the most excellent Felix, who's the governor of, of Judea, and then there's the most excellent Festus, who's succeeded uh, Felix in that role. So there's, there's no reason not to believe, there's actually good reason to believe that the, the most excellent Theophilus, um, he was probably a Gentile um, uh, who held some important uh, office in the Roman government. And some of you even suggested that he, he funded Luke uh, on his, uh, for his studies for these uh, for his gospel and, and uh, the book of Acts. So he's writing to Theophilus and he's now writing to, to you and I and, and he says, I'm writing so that you can have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. Again, how countercultural is that? How, how taboo is that to say, I want you to have certainty concerning these things? Because you've all maybe asked yourself that question, maybe someone's asked you that question. Can, can you really be, be certain concerning teachings of faith? Like, isn't faith something that you, you, you just believe without certainty? Isn't it just like, 
I'm sure if you've been in a youth group, you've been in that position where someone stands on a chair, you have to fall backwards into people's, like isn't that what faith is? Just, just leaping off into nothingness and, and hoping that it's true. You might have even been asked, is it not proud, is it not arrogant to think that your faith is certain and that others are wrong? The, the, the Christian claim is that the things that the Bible teaches about Jesus are true and certain. Even saying that feels, in our culture, feels a little offensive, doesn't it? But that's, that's what the, the Christian claim is. That, that's what our church believes, that the, the things that the Bible teaches about Jesus are true and they are certain, they are trustworthy. And we take that position for three reasons, and, and I think Luke lays out those three reasons in his preface here. He says, you can be certain about this account, that it's accurate, that it's true, that it's trustworthy. And he gives us these three reasons. Firstly, uh, we may be certain because Christianity is a biblical faith. Um, That's what Luke means when he says in verse 1, he says, certain things have been accomplished among us. Um, That word accomplished, it means fulfilled. It it means completed. It's an interesting word choice by Luke, isn't it? Why did he say these, these things that have been accomplished, these things that have been fulfilled, that have been completed? He Why did he say that when he could have said, these are things concerning these things that have happened? It's because Luke is referring back to the promises of the Old Testament. Um, Our Bible is made up of two parts. You have the Old Testament, you have the New Testament. A a real kind of simple way to understand the the organization of our Bible is that the Old Testament are, are promises made and the New Testament are promises kept. The Old Testament promises made, New Testament promises kept. So the Old Testament actually, it looks forward to these promises being kept, these promises that were made to men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David. And the New Testament books, like Luke's gospel, records how God kept those promises. He fulfilled all of those promises. Pastor Tabidi Anyabwile, he writes, now if Christianity is certain, then we should expect it to fulfill or finish all the promises made in the Old Testament. We should expect the Christian claims to be thoroughly rooted in previous biblical promises. We should expect the New Testament to be more than just current events. These are not just things that just happened. These are things that are foreseen, that are foretold. They're, they're, they're four promised events that have now come to pass. One of the major themes that we'll see in Luke's gospel is his emphasis on the plan of God and its fulfillment in this person, Jesus Christ. And one of the ways uh, he, he sets out to give certainty is by showing us how Jesus fulfills the promises of God. Luke actually, he actually shows us that Jesus believed that himself, that Jesus, he actually viewed himself as the fulfillment of those promises of God made so long ago. That's how Jesus reads the Old Testament. Luke actually, he bookends his gospel with this truth, that, that Jesus fulfills biblical promises. He begins by saying that. These are things that have been accomplished. And then he ends by saying that as well. If you go all the way to the end of Luke's gospel in verse 24, chapter 24, and he gives this scene. It might, have, it might be on the screen as well. He, he gives this scene where Jesus is with his disciples. And, and in verse 44, Jesus says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He just named the entirety of the, of the Old Testament. 
He says, those things have been written about me and they must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written, this is what was written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all the na- the na- should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem and look what he says at the end he says to his disciples you are witnesses to these things you are witnesses to these things that that's how Jesus viewed the old testament scriptures promises that were made about him that he comes and fulfills you notice those two words that Jesus uses that Luke also uses at the beginning? That word fulfilled and the word witness. He's bookending his, his gospel in that way. He's saying the, the, the entirety of the gospel is about God accomplishing his plans and people watching him do it. That's, that's what the gospel is about. It, 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 it is, is about this God coming, accomplishing his plans that he made long ago and humans watching him do it. How does he accomplish these, these promises? How does he, he fulfill this plan? By sending Jesus. And humans were eyewitnesses to it all. They just watched him do it. We may be certain of the Christian faith because Christianity is a biblical faith. It's, it's actually rooted in promises made long ago and fulfilled in this person, Jesus Christ. If you're a good debater, you might say, well, hold on a minute, isn't that just circular reasoning? Like you can't say the Bible is, the, the New Testament, this gospel is true because the Bible says it is. Um, you're kind of right. Like, you, like if all we had was circular reasoning in the Bible, you wouldn't really have much at all, would you? You might be, you might be thinking people could just make up religious ideas and, and, and stories, right? This is a pre-scientific era. Maybe they just made mistakes. I kind of agree. If, if all we had was, was circular reasoning in the Bible, it'd be kind of weak. But we actually have more than that. And that's what, that's what, uh, uh, Luke says here. So the fulfillment of, 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 of the Bible's promises and his prophecies, it's not the only reason we believe the certainty of, of this faith. And our second point is we can be certain because the Christian faith is, an, is a historical faith. In verse two, Luke actually starts to point to evidence outside of the Bible for believing what's inside the Bible. In verse two, he refers to, to eyewitnesses and, and ministers of the word that delivered it to us. He says, and most Bible scholars believe that, that Luke's, he's talking about the apostles of Jesus there, uh, these, these companions of Jesus, these, these chosen ones of Jesus, that Jesus says, you are witnesses to these, you are witnesses to what I have done, to what I've accomplished. And Jesus gives them this task of, of delivering that message to the world. Notice Luke includes himself among those who received this report from the eyewitnesses these ministers of the word, he says, just as they delivered them to us, these eyewitnesses. So already he's given us a lot of good reasoning. He's, he says that in verse one, there's, there's many who have, who have uh, uh, many sources that are used to kind of corroborate each other. But even better here, he says that, that Luke had direct access to the eyewitnesses themselves so as to confirm his own narrative by their toast by their testimony. These, these eyewitnesses, these ministers of the word, they were the apostles of Jesus. And I, I, I believe you, you can see this from the way that Luke describes the work of the apostles in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, they have, the apostles have this task of, of bearing witness to what they have, have seen 
and of ministering the word, of preserving the teachings of Jesus and, and, and passing that on to the churches. You see those two tasks, eyewitnesses, witnesses to what he's done, ministers of that word, um, all throughout the text. In Acts chapter one, verse 21 to 22, that there's that section where the, the apostles have to replace Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus. They need to replace him as an apostle. And Peter says, one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us, he says, a witness to his resurrection. And then in Acts chapter six, verse four, after uh, appointing people to serve the tables, Peter says of the apostles, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Then in Acts 13, 31, Paul refers to the 12 apostles like this. After Christ was resurrected, Paul, uh, Peter, Paul says, for many days Christ appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. He appeared to them who are now witnesses to the people. And finally in Acts 26, 16, Paul describes how Christ, he commissioned them to be part of his, he, he, he commissioned him, Paul, to be part of his apostolic band by appearing to him. Jesus appeared to Paul and he gave him these tasks. Christ said, I've appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you to minister and to bear witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those uh, in which I will appear to you. So these, these eyewitnesses, these, these ministers of the word with whom Luke can confirm uh, his, his message with, they're not just ordinary eyewitnesses. They are, they are, they are uh, appointed instruments. They are chosen by Christ himself. They have the authority of the risen Lord behind their teaching. They are the apostles. Uh, these eyewitnesses, these, these ministers of the word, what, what a powerful source that Luke has uh, to, 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 as he puts together his orderly account. Um, that, that word eyewitness that he uses there, it's the same Greek word that we get our word autopsy for. So remember this physician, Dr. Luke, he's saying we've, we've taken these things apart. We, we've stripped them bare. We've investigated them closely and we fully understand what's happened. He's saying you can be certain of these things, not just because they're this biblical faith, but because it's a historical one as well. We're pointing to evidence outside the Bible. The amount of times as well that Luke, he, he, he gives specific times, specific historical people, his, specific historical places. He's constantly rooting his narrative in, in actual history. He's saying this happened when this person was the leader at this, in this city at this specific time. This is, he's saying this is the stuff of history. It's amazing. We can actually look outside of the Bible to test what is inside the Bible. So Christianity presents not just a biblical faith, but a historical one as well. And then thirdly, lastly, in verse three, we're given a third reason for our, for our certainty. It's that it's a verifiable faith. It's a verifiable faith. Read again, let's read them all again, it's short. In as much as I have, under, as many, sorry, in as many, in as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, he says, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. So again, he's rooting this account in the Bible. These are things that have been accomplished. He's rooting it in history. These are, there are eyewitnesses that have carefully delivered, to the, delivered it to us. And in verse three, he shifts to the first person. 
Luke, he introduces himself in a way here. This is something that the other three gospel writers never did. Luke, Luke says, he's saying, in light of those eyewitnesses, in light of the, the, the biblical story, the, those texts, he says, it seemed good to me also to do what? To write an orderly account after having followed all things closely for some time past. Luke's gospel is carefully investigated. It's, it's, it's in an orderly sequence. That, that word in verse three, followed, I followed it, it means to investigate. He said, I've, I've looked into it all, I, I've searched it thoroughly. He says, I've, I've followed all things closely. That, that word closely, it means precisely, it means accurately, it even means perfectly. What a claim by Luke. The, the NIV renders the text, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. The King James translates it, translates it as having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. You see, Luke, he's, he's concerned with the truth. He's concerned with revealing the truth. He's, 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 he's not concerned with passing on hearsay. He, he's not concerned about passing on rumors. He's concerned with the truth. So he carefully investigated everything from the beginning. He performed an autopsy. He, 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 he tore through the narrative. He's visited the places. He talked to the people, and he's put together this orderly account. Luke's a historian. Luke's a, a physician. He has, he has a scientific mind. And he's saying, I've carefully looked into it all, and I wrote an orderly account for you. Not, not many people know a scientist wrote most of the New Testament. Think back to the, those we sections in Acts as well. The, those sections when Luke is traveling along with Paul. He, he's been to those places. He, he, he's he's taken carefully. You know, he's, think of the, the conversations that he's had with people with Paul. I think maybe this is one of, the, one of the good things that came out of Paul being in prison. Luke had time, Luke had time to, to do some work there. He had, he had the opportunity to, to look into these things that, that, that they've been saying. He went to, to corroborate the, this narrative that's been shared. I think he went to those places, I think he, he interviewed these people. I, I think it's obvious, you, you see the evidence that he interviewed these people in his writing, like, like he includes things that you can only include unless, you've, unless you're just blatantly lying or if you've spoken directly to those people. Luke's the only gospel who gives us those details of Mary's story. I believe he went and he sat down with Mary and he asked her, tell me what happened again. An angel, you said an angel appeared in your room? I think he asked her, what, what was that like? What did you feel in that moment? She's like, it's terrifying. An angel appeared out of nowhere, it's terrifying. And he's, he's like, tell me exactly what did he say again? I believe he sat down with her. I believe he sat down with Mary Magdalene and he asked her, what about that scene at that tomb? You said it was empty? You said there was two, two angels there as well? Who else was with you? Joanna, okay, write Joanna's name. Another Mary, it's a lot of Marys. Okay, Mary who? Mary, mother of, J of James, she said. So I'm, gonna go, I'm gonna go talk to them and, and ask them as well, see if these stories line up. I believe he sat down with Peter and he asked, what was it like when you warmed yourself by that fire after Jesus was arrested? What was the look in that servant girl's face 
when she, she looked at you and she, know, she recognized you as being with Jesus? What went on in your heart when you denied that? What was that moment like when you heard, you said a rooster crowed and Jesus said after the, what was that moment like? Peter, he's telling them how he, he just got up and left, he's weeping. All those details that could only come from going and actually asking those people about those stories. How, how did he know that it was Paul who held those coats as Stephen was being stoned to death? He wasn't there. Luke wasn't there. He, he researched. He was with Paul. He asked Paul that story. Tell me that story again, Paul. Think of those moments. He, those moments on the journey. There's no Netflix at night. He's sitting around a fire. And what do you do? You tell stories. The amount of times I, rem- I can remember being on a trip with my, with my brother and we'll just tell those stories again. I know all of those stories in detail. That's what, that's what Luke did with Paul. Tell me that story again. You held that coat. Paul was like, yeah, that was me. That's what I mean. I think Luke would have had to have a healthy skepticism in order, in order to write this book well, in order to investigate it all. Like any good historian, any good investigative journalist, he needs multiple reliable sources. He's gonna corroborate various accounts. The apostles were alive at this point. He had that opportunity to go to them directly, ask them about their stories, compare them to the other stories, to look into all the things. He said, I followed all things closely, accurately from the start, and sat down and wrote an orderly account of it all. He says, this story is is trustworthy. It's historical, it's biblical, I verified it. And he says at the end, again, the reason I'm writing it though is so that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. Luke's, he's concerned, is is his pastoral heart coming out? He's concerned with Theophilus' faith. He wants him to believe these things. He wants him to have certainty. Theophilus most likely is a Gentile who's a new believer. Think of, think of he found himself in this, this faith that's been rooted in Jewish tradition for thousands of years, and he's wondering, do I really fit into this community? This, this spectacular story that I've been taught, that I've been told, it, could it possibly be for me? Could I, could I possibly be included as well? You might have thought that yourself at times. And Luke says, yes, and I want you to be certain about that. He's, t- he's telling him it's true. What does Luke want him to have certainty about exactly? We'll see as we make our way through Luke's gospel that he's concerned about having his facts right, and I think that's a good thing. But we'll see clearly that the certainty that Luke offers, it's not based on the correct information. It's based on a person. Our faith isn't about correct content of thought. It's about trust in a person. With his gospel, Luke holds out this accurate portrait of Jesus, not so that we can know more about him, but so that you can know him more. That's exactly why Luke writes this gospel of Jesus Christ, to show us this person. 
This, this God-man who, who came to earth to fulfill those promises made by God long ago. That we, that's what we looked at through Advent. This, 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 this God who, who came to be near us. He came to, to live this, this perfect, faithful, righteous life, a life that you and I could never dream of living. And he came to die this gruesome death that we all deserve because of our sins. And he came in order to make a way for us to once again be, be made part of God's family. He came to make a way for you to be included. The overall thesis of Luke's gospel, we'll see, is that Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. That's his, that's his point. If he could put it all in one sentence, is that Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. Jesus comes to, to, for people like Theophilus. He comes for people like you and for me. People on the outside. You'll see in Luke's gospel that Jesus came to those who are in a low place. He himself became lowly to be with the lonely, to be with the weak. He comes to include those who are marginalized. He comes for the outcasts. That's what you're gonna see. He, he comes to lift up women. He comes to include children. He comes to draw near to the sick, to the poor, the needy. That's what Luke's gospel is about. Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. Um, let's gaze upon him over the next while. Um, let's, let's just revel in this good news. Um, let's see that it's for you and it's for me. Um, Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. He comes to make a way for you to be included. Um, and Luke is writing so that you can be certain of that. Uh, may the Lord help us to see uh, the truth of his scriptures. May he give us uh, certainty concerning the truth of this gospel. Um, would you stand with me and we'll pray. And Father, again, we, we thank you for your word. Um, what a gift. Um, a word that, that shows us who you are. Uh, we, thank you that, um, we thank you for Luke and for working through Luke. Um, we thank you that um, this faith isn't something that we just uh, jump off and, and, and hope it works. Um, we thank you that this faith is reliable, it's trustworthy, and it's true. It's something that you've been working over generation and generation in, in actual points in history. And we thank you for people like Luke who, who put in that work to make sure it's true and to pass on an orderly account for us so that we can be certain of its truth. Um, Jesus, we thank you for you. Uh, we thank you, um, uh, we thank you for those lessons through Advent, uh, that you've come to be with us. You've come to, to make a way for us. You've come to pay the penalty of our sin. Uh, Lord, I just pray that the truth of that, that 
good news would, would come alive to us in a new way, even if we've, we've heard it a thousand times before, may it sink deeper into our hearts. I pray for those who, who've maybe just heard it for the first time this morning, may that uh, just illuminate the, the, the light bulbs in their, in their heart. May they see that this is for them, that you, Jesus, come to seek them out, to save them, to make a way for them. Um, Help us through the next few months, Lord, as we look at this gospel. Um, help us to be um, faithful to your word. Help us to, to, to preach it in a way that uh, shows that good news, um, that increases our, our ideas about Jesus and, and our relationship with Jesus and, and ultimately our love for Jesus. Uh, we thank you for your promise of being with us and never leaving us or forsaking us. Um, we cling to that hope, Jesus. We pray these things in, in your name. Amen. Um, we're just going to end uh, with communion. Uh,